Good evening and welcome to our Bible study series, Out of Bondage into Abundance. We're continuing along in part six of this seven-part series, and I make this announcement every week, but I'll make it again. Uh, if you are interested in any of the previous studies that we have done, either the notes or the audio recordings, they're all available through our website, which is new-life-ministries.org. And you can follow the menus there and get to the downloadable notes and also the audio messages. We are looking at the seven nations that God told the Israelites about that were occupying the Promised Land. God brought the Israelites out of Egypt with a mighty outstretched arm, took them through the wilderness, and kept reassuring them that he was taking them into an, a land of abundance, a land flowing with milk and honey. But from the very beginning, he was also telling them, when you get there, there are going to be seven nations, greater and more powerful than you are, evil, wicked, perverse idol-worshipping nations that have to be defeated and destroyed. Not a very pleasant uh, thing to be looking forward to. However, God kept reassuring them that he was going to go before them, and he would actually be the one fighting with these seven evil nations. And we are looking, this, looking at this, of course, from a spiritual standpoint, what does all of this represent for us as Christians? And I think if you've been with us from the beginning, you're seeing that it's a beautiful picture of our life in Christ. We start off as slaves, slaves to sin, and God brings us out of that bondage through the blood of the Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ. Now, His purpose is to take us in to an abundant life, an abundant life now through the Spirit and ultimately into our heavenly inheritance in heaven. One small problem, we also have enemies, enemies that must be overcome. And the whole concept of being an overcomer, we often get excited when we sing these songs about, you know, overcoming, but if you're an overcomer, you have to overcome something, which implies there are going to be enemies and oppositions along the way. And we're looking at these seven nations as representing different groups or different kinds of evil, evil powers, powers of darkness, demonic forces, sin, whatever you want to call them, but powers of darkness that must be overcome if we are truly going to enter into and possess what God has promised us. We're finishing tonight with the third of seven nations. We've already looked at the Canaanites, and we saw they represent the world, and the love of the world, love of money, which is the root of all evil. And then we looked at the Amorites, which represent pride. Their name means promotion, prominence. They lived in high places. And most assuredly, 
those first two enemies that we studied are very powerful foes, and they must be mastered, they must be overcome, otherwise they will bring us down. Likewise, this third nation that we are studying tonight, from last week, the Hittites. The name very clearly tells us where we're going with this section. The name Hittite means fear, terror, to scare, or to make afraid. So, the Hittites represent fear and unbelief. Those two things, fear and unbelief, are cousins. They always go hand in hand, and one leads to the other. And we saw that last time, fear and unbelief are often things that we as Christians treat rather lightly. We sort of brush them off and, you know, well, I have a problem in that area, or I have a little bit of a weakness uh, in my faith. But we need to call it what it is. And we saw clearly last time Fear and unbelief are sin. It's an evil thing when we are not walking in faith. It's an evil thing when we are being consumed with fear. And the book of Hebrews says, Brethren, beware lest there be in any of you an evil or a sinful heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Faith draws us to the Lord, unbelief drives us away from Him. And we saw in the book of Romans, whatever is not born out of faith, Paul says, is sin. So whatever does not come from faith is sin. And if you read through the Gospels, Jesus repeatedly was dealing with his disciples about their faith or the lack of it. And it was often manifested as fear. On one occasion, when they were out in the boat, you may remember, he calmed the storm, but then he rebuked them and said, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Notice the connection between little faith and being afraid. And, you know, Christians are famous for pointing our fingers at all the evils in the world, and, you know, they are evil, no doubt. Uh, Things like immorality, uh, witchcraft, idol worship, lying. I think we would all agree those are evil things, and those are things that would definitely keep a person out of heaven. But we read this last time, and I want to read it again to highlight this. In Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8, I want you to notice the first two things in the list of those who will not only not be going to heaven, but they will be cast into the lake of burning fire and sulfur. Revelation 21, 7 and 8, He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And I think one way you can look at this next verse is Jesus is listing some of the things that must be overcome if we're going to be 
an overcomer. Well, verse 8 begins with, but the cowardly, King James says fearful, but the cowardly and unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Well, we have no problem with everything else in the list. The vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, witchcraft, occult, idol worshippers, and liars. They're all going to hell. But guess what? The unbelieving are also. The fearful are also. So if you and I recognize uh, we're having battles in these areas, and notice again, they're actually listed together, fearful and unbelieving. Uh, it, it actually comes from the Greek word, which means fearful, timid, or faithless. So it's all included in one Greek word. If, if we're having battles in this area, we better start facing the reality of what it is. It's sin. And we need to deal with it no differently than we would with immorality or lying or some other kind of uh, unclean thing in our life that we need to repent for. We need to begin by facing what this is. It's sin. We need to confess it as sin to God. We need to then appropriate God's word and God's grace to enable us to overcome this. So fear and unbelief are not just weaknesses or emotional feelings. These are things that must be overcome. The Hittites had to be overcome. They had to be driven out of the promised land if they were truly going to enjoy the milk, the honey, and the abundance that was there. Now, we started last time, and I want to complete this tonight, looking at ways to overcome fear. And we're basically dividing this into three sections. Three simple ways that are based on Scripture that God has given to us to enable us to overcome fear. The first one we were looking at last time, and we want to pick up where we left off. Over and over and over you find this exhortation in the Scriptures from God to His people. And basically, it goes something like this. Yeah. Do not fear, for I am with you. Don't be afraid. I will be your God. I will be there to help you. That's really the foundation that's going to enable you and me to begin to conquer this thing called fear and unbelief. It's trusting God, knowing He's with you, knowing He's never going to leave you nor forsake you, and knowing that He wants to be your helper. And some of the scriptures we looked at last time in Isaiah 41 and 43, 
uh, over and over, God tells him, don't fear. I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will fight for you. I will be there with you. Do not be afraid, for I myself will help you. The New Testament echoes that in Hebrews 13. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, with boldness, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now, we would be fools to say there is nothing in the world that can frighten us. There are scary things in the world. I've had many, many very scary situations that have come up in my life in the 41 years that I've been serving the Lord. And I I talk about some of those experiences in my book. And the only thing that saves you and gives you courage in those moments is not how strong you are, how courageous you are, or how smart, or anything else. It's knowing that the Lord is there with you. And that's the bottom line. If God is there, He will help you. And afterwards, you will have a testimony. You will be able to boldly say, notice that, so that we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. God wants to take us through things where We experience his help, his deliverance, his fighting for us, and then we can stand up in the church, or we can get on the internet, or we can write a book about how God helped us to encourage others who might be going through a similar situation. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And if you go through the book of Psalms, How many times David was in a situation where his life was threatened. Saul and other enemies were chasing after him. They were closing in on him. They were about to kill him. And all he could do in those times of of fear and distress was to call on the Lord and turn to the Lord. And that's where we get all of these beautiful songs in the Psalms. What does he say in Psalm 56? When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. So when you and I feel that fearful thing starting to come, run to the Lord. Start confessing his word. Start declaring who he is. God is with me. He's not going to leave me nor forsake me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And as you walk with the Lord and go through different circumstances, your faith grows. Your faith is strengthened as you actually experience God helping you in those dark moments, in those fearful times. And we need to encourage one another. These are dark times in which we're living. Every week now, we're hearing about Christians who are being beheaded for their faith. Happened again this week. Christians are dying. Their lives are being snuffed out because of their faith in Christ. But they're dying without fear. They're dying boldly 
declaring, Jesus is my Lord, I will not deny his name. And the same God who is with those blessed brothers and sisters who are going through that, he'll be with you and with me. Now, this is interesting because, remember, the Hittites represent fear. But what a scary thing for God to tell the Israelites, I'm taking you into a land where there are seven nations, not just one, seven nations greater and stronger than you are. But do not be afraid of them. And I want to look at some scriptures now, and if you're following in the outline, we've come to page 112. Regarding those seven nations, God repeatedly assured the Israelites that they did not need to fear them. God was going to fight their battles. God was going to go before them, that they had no reason to be afraid or discouraged. Deuteronomy 1 and verse 21. See the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. How often we find those words in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and in the New. God must have known we were going to regularly have to battle with those things. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Now, in Deuteronomy 7, where God listed the seven nations... And then he told the Israelites, they're stronger and more powerful than you are. He goes on to say this, a little further in the chapter. Deuteronomy 7, from verse 17. You may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. Notice that. Do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. That's an important point, and I want to pause there. And this is building on what I was just talking about earlier. As we walk with the Lord and we go through different experiences, we start to build kind of a spiritual resume of the different trials and battles and experiences that God has taken us through. And we need to remember those. Write them down. Keep a record. Keep a journal of all of the victories that God wins for you. Because you can go back and reflect on each and every one of those experiences, and it will build your faith. Starting with your salvation. Remember what the Lord did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. Remember the miracle of your salvation. Remember the miracle of how God broke the, the yoke of slavery of sin off of your life. 
and then whatever the present enemy or trial that you're having to face may be, do not be afraid of them. Remember all that the Lord did in your life. Verse 19. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. Notice that. To all the peoples you now fear. So God knew they were afraid. They were afraid of these seven nations. Don't be afraid of them. God's going to do the same thing to every one of them he did to all of your previous enemies. And you and I can look back on the different things that God brought us through and remember how faithful he was in each and every situation and keep reminding yourself, whatever trial you're in right now, the same God is going to show up. Same God is going to give you victory again. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them. I love that. I love the hornets. I love the hornets. You, you really have to get a vision of that, and I've talked about the hornets before, but if you've never had an experience with hornets, it might be hard to relate to, but hornets are relentless. They will chase you until they sting you, and trust me, they will drive you out of their area. You will run from wherever the hornets are. And God wants us to know He's got spiritual hornets that He can send in and sting these demons and devils and powers of darkness, whatever it is that's plaguing you. The Lord will send the hornet among them until even the survivors who hide from you have perished. You and I may have enemies we don't even know about yet. They're still hiding somewhere in the bushes. God says, don't worry about them either. The hornets will find them out. They can't hide from the hornets. And here it comes again, verse 21. Do not be terrified by them. For the Lord your God who is among you is a great and awesome God. So, the Hittites were literally one of those seven nations they were fearing. But for us, the Hittites represent fear. And fear is a very powerful thing. It can paralyze us. It can destroy our faith in God. And remember, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So we're not going to overcome anything if fear gets the best of us. So Fear must be conquered. Fear must be overcome. And God gives these assurances over and over and over. Don't be afraid of them. I will be there. I will deal with these enemies. I will send the hornet and drive them out. Look also in Deuteronomy 3, verses 21 and 22. At that time I commanded Joshua, You have seen with your own eyes all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings, referring to the Amorite kings, Sihon and Og. You've seen with your eyes what I did to them. 
the Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. So, again, making this practical, you and I, we need to look back on our past victories. What has God done with enemies in our life in the past? Remember well, because he says, I'm going to do the same to all the other kingdoms who are over there where you are going. Enemies we've not yet even encountered yet, God says, I'm going to deal with them the same way I dealt with that enemy last year or that enemy that I dealt with five or ten years ago. And if you've walked with the Lord for any length of, of time, uh, I can be assured you've had some enemies and you've had some opposition by now. And you know what I'm talking about. The Lord fights for his people. The Lord shows up in situations. He often waits till the last minute. He seems like he's slow, but he's never late. He comes just in the nick of time, and bam, the enemies are destroyed, the sun comes out, and again, you're walking in peace and joy and victory. Remember those times, because that gives us a basis for our future encounters with enemies. Let me read this again. The Lord will do the same to all the kingdoms over there where you are going. Why am I afraid today then? He says, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God himself will fight for you. Okay, second point. And again, we're talking about scriptural ways to overcome fear. First one is to know God is with you, trust God, Understand that he's there to help you to fight your battles. The second point is fear God. If you fear God, first and foremost, then you will fear no one else. And a lot of us, we struggle in this area of fearing people. We're afraid of what people will say. We're afraid of what people might do to us. Or we're even afraid of what they might think about us. But if you're focused primarily on fearing God and being more concerned with how God sees you, what God thinks about you, then it's amazing how that eliminates all the other fears. I begin with a very interesting passage in Isaiah 8 from verse 11 to 13. Isaiah 8, 11 to 13. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. 
He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. I like this scripture because it seems to pose two choices that you and I have to make. We choose either to fear people or we choose to fear God. If you fear God, then you don't need to fear what other people are fearing. But if you really don't fear God, you'll end up fearing what everybody else fears. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Many scriptures in the Bible about fearing God, not just Old Testament. A lot of people think, oh, that's just Old Testament stuff, Pastor. Now we're supposed to like God. Now God's our friend. He's our Abba Father. Uh, we don't fear him anymore. Oh, really? Huh. Maybe you better read your New Testament again. And we'll look at a couple of verses on that in a minute. But let's look at a couple of places, first of all, in the Old Testament, that talk about fearing God. And notice in this next verse, again, how fears of everyday circumstances, perhaps fear of other people, is juxtaposed with the fear of God. The two of them are right here together. Psalm 34, let's read verses 4 to 7. David, in his song, he says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Well, even David, the, the giant killer, he had fears. He knew what it was to have fears, but he also knew what it was to be delivered from them. I sought the Lord. And he answered me, he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. Notice in these verses, one thing David did when he was afraid or in trouble he sought the Lord. He cried out to God. And you and I have no excuse if in our trials and troubles we don't set our face toward heaven and seek God. We need to spend time, cry out to God, call on the Lord's name, spend some days fasting and praying, but call on the Lord when you're in trouble. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Now notice the next verse. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who what? Fear him. And he delivers them. Notice the connection between fearing God and then seeking that God who will in turn deliver us from all our other fears. Fear of man, fear of death, fear of harm, 
fear of failure. Man, they have so many different names for different kinds of phobias. You'd be amazed. They got a name for every one of them. Uh, now, some of these fears are sort of natural fears. I think a lot of people are afraid of snakes, afraid of spiders, maybe afraid of the dark. But even those things we need to overcome when we're walking with the Lord. Those are natural kinds of fears, but there's an unnatural tormenting kind of a fear that the enemy will try to bring into our lives, and it can paralyze us and hinder us from doing the will of God. Now, let's look at some familiar scriptures found in the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom, about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Another place says it's the beginning of knowledge, too. So if you want knowledge and wisdom, <clears throat> the starting point is to fear God. That's where wisdom starts to come into your life and mine when we start fearing the Lord. And this isn't the same as being afraid of the dark. This is a holy, wholesome reverence and respect for who God is. He's almighty. He can do anything. He has all power and all authority. And because of that, we reverence Him. We respect Him. We fear Him. That fear is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 10, verse 27. The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Next verse is interesting because again it shows the connection between fears and being afraid versus fearing God. In Exodus 20:20, 20, 20, the children of Israel we saw when they came to Mount Sinai, it was a fearful sight. Man, the whole mountain was shaking and trembling. It's on fire, smoke and clouds on top of the mountain. It was a scary sight. And here's what Moses said to the people. Moses said to the people, and if you want to study it, you can, but this is when they were there, trembling with fear at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. How interesting. Do not be afraid. God has come to put the fear of God into you. And my experience is when I'm really fearing God, I don't fear anything else. But when I've lost that fear for God, all kinds of other fears start to plague me. But when you get your relationship right with God, 
and you realize God's eye is on your life. He's got your back. He's watching you. He's with you. Man, there's nothing that can conquer you. Nothing that can scare you. You are fearless and bold as a lion. Now, let's bring it over to the New Testament. In Luke 12, Jesus told his disciples some pretty fearful things. He told them about coming events. He warned them, you're going to be hated, you're going to be persecuted, some of you are going to be killed. He warned them about all that. And I'm sure he sensed that their hearts were starting to weaken and feel afraid. So here's what he, he tells them. Luke 12, starting with verse 4, we'll read down to verse 7. <clears throat> I tell you, my friends, here it is again, do not be afraid. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Now, notice what he did not say. He did not say, don't be afraid, nobody can kill you. That's not what he said. As I mentioned earlier tonight, Christians are dying. Their beheadings are being videotaped and plastered on the internet. They're being executed. Christians are being executed. So he did not say, don't be afraid, none of you will ever have to face that. You might. Some of you might. But don't be afraid of some ISIS maniac who beheads you. Do not be afraid of some deranged killer who wants to put bullets through the heads of Christians. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body. Why? Because after that, they can do no more. Hallelujah! That's all they can do, is kill the body. They can't do anything more to you and to me. Well, if all we have is our body then that would be a pretty fearful thing. But if you're a Christian, you know that your body is just the shell. The real you is inside the body. You have a soul. You have a spirit. All they can touch is your body. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom... You should fear. Fear him, capital H. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You and I can only hope and pray that if we ever have to face a situation like that, where a gun is pointed toward our head, or a knife is being held to our throat, 
and were given the option of denying Christ or remaining faithful to Him and losing our life, that in that moment we will remember these words. Am I going to fear the man with the knife who can only kill my body? Or am I going to fear God who after this has authority to throw me into hell? Remember, the first group in Revelation 21 that goes to hell are the cowardly and the unbelieving. God help us. God help us in these last days to be bold, strong, and courageous in our faith. Fear God, not man. Many, many other scriptures in the New Testament, that talk about fearing God. Philippians 2 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why are we fearing and trembling? Well, we're fearing God. Hebrews has a number of things to say about fearing God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. God is a God of judgment. And judgment in these last days is starting in the house of God. It's not going to end there. It's going to start there. And so you and I need to fear God. Not ISIS. Not the culture in which we live. Not the uh, LGBT agenda and all these other things that are coming down the pipe. We need to fear God, and we need to ask God to put His fear in our hearts. The Bible talks about trembling at His Word, trembling before His presence. And, you know, I think a lot of that has been lost in the modern church. We've gone too far the other way with our casual faith, our casual relationship with God. That's all good and well. God is your friend, yes. God is your father, yes. But he is to be feared. God is to be reverenced. God is to be respected. And we need to teach even our children and our little ones to respect God. Respect the things of God. When we're in prayer, when we're in worship, when we're in a church gathering and somebody is prophesying or praying or giving a message... It's not time to be joking around, playing on our cell phones and and goofing off. We need to call people back to reverencing God, respecting the presence of God. Fear God, and then we'll find we're not so afraid of other people, what they think about us, what they can do to us. Many, many more scriptures I've not even included here because we could go on and on with this. Uh, I think you get the, the point, though. There is a fear of man, and there's also a fear of God. We need to dispense with the fear of man and replace it with the fear of God. All right, let's finish with point three here. We, we hinted at this at the very beginning of this section. The way to overcome fear is to walk in God's love. The two are opposites. 
the love of God, we're going to see again here, drives out all fear. So ultimately, knowing that God is with you, fearing and respecting God, and then knowing how much God loves you will drive out all fear, all the unwholesome, unholy kind of fear from your life and mine. First John chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. And we know and rely on the love God has for us. Just pause. We know and we rely on the love God has for us. There are two keys that are mentioned there. The first one, we obviously have to know that God loves us. And we don't know that by feelings. We know that from His Word. And to find out how much God loves you, you need to get into the Word. And of course, the greatest expression of God's love for you and for me is what happened on the cross, on Calvary. But beyond that, we have scriptures like John 17, where in Jesus' prayer to the Father, he says, Father, you love them the same way you love me. That's mind-blowing. That God could love me with a love equal to his love for Jesus Christ. Big difference between Jesus Christ and me. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Jesus never sinned. Jesus is co-equal with the Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Godhead three. He's God. And yet, he says, the Father loves you and me with an equal kind of love. We need to know that. And then we need to believe it. We need to trust in it. We need to rely on it. We know and rely on the love God has for us. That's why Peter says, when you're going through a trouble or a trial, cast your cares on the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. That was the very thing that caused the disciples to be afraid in the storm. What did they say to Jesus? Master, don't you care that we're about to perish? Listen to those words. Don't you care? They didn't understand yet how much he cared for them. If we know and then believe that God loves us with a love equal to his love for the very Son of God, we will stop saying things like, Why doesn't God care for me? God must not love me. That's why X, Y, or Z is happening to me. We need to get rid of that kind of thinking, negative thinking, and negative talking, and start confessing, God loves me the same way he loves Jesus, like the Apostle John. I am the disciple that Jesus loves. Jesus loves me, this I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. We know 
and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Another important point there. God doesn't just love. He is love. There's a difference between saying God loves and God is love. Loves is a verb. God is an entity. He is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made perfect among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. And here it comes. There is no fear in love. No fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. So, just as God assured the Israelites, I'm going to drive out these Hittites, I'm going to drive out the Amorites and all these other ites, God's love is what's going to drive fear out of your life and mine. And again, we have all kinds of fears. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of being left alone, and all kinds of other fears. No fear in love, perfect love, casts out, drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. Let me pause again for something that's coming to my mind. The reason fear and unbelief are often linked together, I think I mentioned this last time, fear is actually a form of negative faith. We're believing that something bad is going to happen. We're afraid we're going to get cancer. We're afraid all of our kids are going to backslide and go to hell. We're afraid that ISIS is coming to Washington, D.C. It's a kind of a faith, but it's the wrong kind of faith. We're believing things that are contrary to the Word of God. So, in the case of Job, God tells Job something very interesting early on in the story. I think it's found in Job chapter 3, where Job makes this confession. The thing that I feared has now come upon me. Huh. That scares me, that statement. The thing that I feared has come upon me. So, in a perverted sense, we can sometimes believe long enough that something bad is going to happen to us, and we go on confessing it, and we open up a door, and lo and behold, it comes. And then after the fact, we have to agree with Job, the thing that I was so afraid of, here it is, knocking at my door. And Jesus said something else in the Gospels, according to your faith, be it unto you. My translation of that, whatever you go on believing in your life is what you're going to get. You keep believing, oh, I'm going to get sick, I'm always going to be poor, I'm always going to live in failure, 
I'm never going to do anything for the Lord. I'm never going to have any ministry. I'll never be able to overcome this thing in my life. That's what you're going to get, because that's what you believe. According to your faith, be it unto you. In the story of the twelve spies, ten of them had faith. They had faith that they were going to be defeated. They came back after their 40-day spy mission. We studied all of this. They came back with a certain perverted kind of a faith, saying, wow, we look like grasshoppers in the eyes of those giants in the promised land. We cannot overcome them. We cannot possess that promised land. That was their faith. It was a cannot faith. And guess what? They did not. They got what they believed. Joshua and Caleb came back with a different kind of a faith. They came back believing in God and in what God had told them. They said, no problem. Their defense has departed from them. We are well able to overcome these giants and these seven nations. Let's go over at once and conquer them. We can overcome them. They got what they believed. Joshua and Caleb were the only two out of that whole group that crossed the Jordan, went into the Promised Land, and actually possessed their inheritance. So, fear is a very powerful thing, and it can work like a negative type of faith, where we're believing for disaster, we're believing for failure, we're believing for sickness, and we start confessing all these negative things that we believe, and then we wonder why they're coming on us. Well, look at the story of Job. Apparently, he had this fear in his heart. It was a secret kind of a fear, but it was something he was always fearing, and lo and behold, it happened. It came. The thing that I feared has now come upon me. Okay, back to 1 John 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. Spend time meditating on God's love for you. Spend time deliberately believing and confessing out loud, God loves me. He loves me just the way I am. He accepts me the way I am. I don't know why He loves me, but He does. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. As you do that, perfect love starts to drive out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. One translation we saw, it brings torment. Fear is a tormenting demon. It'll keep you up at night. It just keeps gnawing at your brain keeps coming back and back with these negative pictures, negative visions, negative things that are going to come. And if you believe them, they may come. So reject them, cancel them out, tell the devil to get out, resist that thing in the name of Jesus, and let perfect love drive out fear. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So when you and I are still having these battles with fear and unbelief, it's God's way of showing us we haven't yet allowed 
his perfect love to come into our life. The one who fears is not yet made perfect in love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I used to visit um, a mental hospital regularly with Pastor Tom Dant. We saw people there that I've never seen people so cruelly tormented, tortured with demons. And you, when you first see them, you're like, God, how can you allow any human being to be tortured and tormented like this? But as we got a little closer, and we were the only ones that were even crazy enough to go into that lock ward and get close to them, but as you got a little closer to some of these people, you started to get a little bit of a window into why they were tormented and tortured the way they were. I began to notice a common denominator in all of them. They had bitterness against someone or some group of people. They had hatred in their hearts for others. And that's a sure way to open up your heart to the tormentors. Look at Matthew 19, I'm sorry, Matthew 18, about the unforgiving servant. He refuses to forgive his fellow servant. What happens? The tormentors are come. I believe those are demons. They're demons of fear that eat away at our heart and mind thoughts of bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness. If you want to get free from all of that fear, it's not just knowing how much God loves you. John puts all of this together by saying, whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or a sister, is a liar. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Forgiveness is very important here. We need to let go of those past hurts, whatever people said about us, did to us, so be it. Let it go. It's not worth ruining your faith and ruining your spiritual life over what somebody else did to you. You can't control what they did to you, but you can control what you do with the offense. You have full control. You have the ability to forgive them, to release them, and to get free from that thing. Finally, Romans 8, verses 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? I don't know about you, but every one of those seven things would naturally bring fear into anyone's mind. Who wants trouble? 
Who wants hardship? Who wants persecution? Who wants famine? Nakedness, danger, or sword. Those are seven fearful things. But here's his response. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things. Not once they're past, in them. In all these things we are more than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has promised to deliver us out of the hands of all of our enemies, all those that hate us, so that we can serve Him without fear. Without fear all the days of our life. We need to claim this victory in each and every one of our lives. And we need to walk in that victory. The righteous are bold as lions. And we're going to need God's supernatural presence, grace, and strength in these last days. Because they are perilous, dark, dangerous times. They're fearful times. No doubt about it. There's plenty going on in the world today to make anyone afraid. But you and I have a different calling on our lives. God has called us to walk not in the fear of men or what people can do to us or what situations can bring, but to fear God and God alone. And the God we fear is the God who loves us with an everlasting love. He loves us with the same love he has for his own Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we know that fear is a big part of the human experience. Every one of us in this Bible study tonight, we know full well what it is to be afraid, to be tormented, with thoughts of fear, even entertaining visions in our minds of dark, negative things that are about to happen. But God, you are teaching us a different way. You're renewing our minds through your word. You're giving us a whole different mindset that we would rather fear God who has authority over our body, soul, and spirit, rather than fear man or fear circumstances. Lord, I declare tonight for each and every one of us complete victory over this Hittite spirit. Your word declares that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And you sent Jesus Christ into this world to the cross into the tomb, 
and he ascended back up to the right hand of majesty on high to deliver us out of the hands of all of our enemies, all those that hate us, all who oppose us, that we might live and walk a life without any fear of death, free from the fear of death, delivering us from all of our fears so that we can serve you in righteousness and holiness without fear all the days of our life. God, I thank you for filling us with your perfect love. Perfect love will drive out all fear. Help us to live in love, walk in love, know and believe how much you love us. God bless each and every one tonight with peace, with assurance, with confidence that whatever situation we're in right now, we will not fear what man can do because God is with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us so that we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. God, keep each and every one of us as the apple of your eye until Jesus comes for his bride. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.